Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We're going to wrap up the series we've been doing called What Would Jesus Eat? And let me ask quickly, uh, just how everyone's Thanksgiving was. Did everyone have a good Thanksgiving meal? Very good. Very good? Okay. Let me ask this question. Uh, what were some of your non-traditional... Did anyone have a non-traditional dish at their Thanksgiving? Did everyone have turkey? Yes. Did anyone have anything other than turkey? Anyone have anything other than turkey? I mean, we did, but did anyone else? No? Everyone had something traditional? Did anyone have a favorite dish this Thanksgiving? Like what? What? Did you say Twinkie casserole? Oh, okay. I was like, thank you, Jesus. All right, praise God. Sweet potato casserole. Okay, I got it. Uh, John, your name, what? Stuffing and gravy and my mom's, now Diana's, cheesecake. Cheesecake. That's good. That's good. Anyone else have a favorite dish? Stuffing. Green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. All of it. All of it. Good stuff. Yeah, all about food. Uh, we actually had chicken and a pot roast, and my favorite, we had a bunch of sides, like six or seven sides. My favorite was uh, Christy's aunt made some cranberry thing, the cranberry dish, and it was just delicious. It was like awesome. But before we continue the series, um, it wouldn't be a holiday without a Charlie Brown clip. So let's take a look at this video. Before we're served, shouldn't we say grace? In the year 1621, the Pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving feast. They invited the great Indian chief, Massasoit, who brought 90 of his brave Indians and a great abundance of food. Governor William Bradford and Captain Miles Standish were honored guests. Elder William Brewster, who was a minister, said a prayer that went something like this. We thank God for our homes and our food and our safety in a new land. We thank God for the opportunity to create a new world for freedom and justice. Amen. We thank God for our homes and our food. And some of you probably sat around the table and shared what you were thankful for. So I just want to take a quick moment and just give people an opportunity to do what you did with many of your families, and since we're gathered together as a church family, to just share what you're thankful for. Don't all scream out at once. My family. Family, amen. My freedom. Amen. Praise God for that. Health. For our health, definitely. Salvation. Everything. What else, Mr. Salvation. Amen. Praise God for grace his grace, grace and love. His grace, his mercy. All his blessings. All his blessings. My mom would be a cancer free. Amen for that. Anyone else? Right aid. See, I was at right aid. I was going to say, I'm going to be the non traditional one because I'm going to say thank God for technology and for Nerf making guns for adults. Shoot 70 miles an hour, but thank you for throwing out the right age so I didn't have to be the first one to throw a weird one out there. Anyone else? 
CBS. Black Friday. <laughs> there are some people with Bruce who are probably not as thankful for Black Friday, but yeah, the ability to shop and, and, and Black Friday and definitely for discounts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I love Thanksgiving because it's, it's, it opens the doorway to this season where people start getting generous and they realize that Christmas is coming and they start, people just during the Christmas season, even though they argue about Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever, generally just start being nicer to one another. Uh, and I posted this a couple of years ago and I'll share it again, uh, that Thanksgiving is the John the Baptist of holidays because it's the predecessor of better things to come. We've just entered that world, except for, you know, maybe the mad shoppers and when they're out of stuff that you're looking for. But other than that, the whole holiday season where people just start treating each other better. And it's a season of just food and fellowship. And it's awesome. And some of you probably have memories from when you were kids or your grandparents or your parents were taking you around the neighbors and all the decorating and all that. Just a time of love and fellowship and just... This awesome time of year. It's like, like the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, but we've been talking about what would Jesus eat because we're going into the season of food and fellowship. And it's not just so we can talk about, you know, like the Jesus Food Channel and, and all that kind of stuff. It, there's a reason we've been talking about this. And I said one of the main reasons is because God created and declared all food good. When he created all food, he declared it good. Now, that's not necessarily the food that other people make, but the food that he created. Like Twinkies, although Twinkie casserole would be awesome. God didn't create Twinkies. He gave us the stuff to make Twinkies, and thank you, Jesus Brickle, that kind of stuff. But he also said, you know, there are some things that are not as good for your body. He created our bodies as other things. But he also said, all food received with thanksgiving is good. So I literally thank God every time I put a piece of wrinkle in my mouth, especially when I find a hidden stash. But here's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do is over the next just three days, and I did this at our Thanksgiving Eve celebration, challenge you over the next three days, every time you put a piece of food in your mouth, not just when you sit down, but every time, not just at dinner, not just at snacks, not just when you're out at the restaurant, every time, give thanks to God for his food. He provided that food for you. And as we're going to see in a moment, that's what Jesus did. Uh, but also, um, talk, we talked about honoring the temple. God created our bodies. He knows what's good for it. And if God thought that much of our bodies, that he would say he's going to put his Holy Spirit in it and dwell in it, if he thought that much of our bodies, then we should think that much of it as well. But also, uh, because, as we just said, give thanks in all things, everything that we do, uh, whether it be eating, whether it be going out, whether it be surviving Black Friday, whatever we're doing, give thanks to God for all things, right? Uh, but real quick, I want to share some facts because we've been talking about what would Jesus eat, and I wanted to actually talk about what he would have on his plate, what he would eat at, at, at a given meal. Um, and because in that day, there we go, uh, because in that day um, there were not any processed foods, there weren't any microwaves, uh, most of what, almost all of what, everything he would have eaten actually would have been whole foods, and I don't mean from whole foods, uh, but whole foods, just fully grown. Everything would have been naturally organic because that's the way everything was back then. Uh, so he would have eaten like just normal, natural whole foods. Uh, he would have eaten a lot of fish, 
although they had lamb and goats and calves and all that kind of stuff, uh, those were more for the special times, like the, the families coming over or the certain days of the week, whereas on a regular basis, it would have been more fish, uh, not so much the scallops and the lobsters and the crab legs or the, I still can't pronounce it, Sutherka, whatever, the, the octopus-filled turkey wrapped in bacon with crab legs. Probably wouldn't have made it to Jesus' dinner table. Um, and it would have been a lot of grains in what they would be eating. So highly unlikely that Jesus would have went gluten-free. But then again, the grains would have been a lot purer, for lack of a better term, uh, back then. But also, last week we talked about who would Jesus have eaten food with? Who would he have invited to his table? And we looked at time after time again, he would have eaten with anyone and everyone who wanted to sit down with him. Anyone who said, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to sit down at this table with you, um, even people that others criticized him for sitting for. But what I want to do now is take a look, in the time we have remaining, at one particular meal, the Passover meal. And it, it's where we derive this act of communion from. Uh, and I'm going to just, for the sake of time, put the verses up on the screen. But in Luke chapter 22, uh, this is what we read in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And the hour referred to, now it doesn't refer to like us having a dinner time. And I have to ask, what's this, this? Who had dinner before noon? Anyone have dinner before noon? Thanksgiving dinner? Anyone have it before noon? Who had it before two? A couple of people had it before two. Who had it before three? Okay. Who had it before five? That I'm gonna guess leaves Christy and I and her cousin Jessica. We had it after seven, seven thirty-ish, eight, somewhere around there. All right. Um, while most of you were going back for snacks and pies and desserts, or some people were getting ready for bed, we were sitting down to eat. But this doesn't refer to that type of hour. It refers to back when, uh, how many people remember the, the account of the Ten Commandments and the Tenth Plagues? And the Tenth Plague was where uh, the Israelites had to put blood on their doorposts so that the firstborn son would not be killed. And God passed over those sons and spared the lives of the firstborn son of everyone who had blood on their doorposts. So this whole Passover meal was sort of a remembrance of that time, but it was also looking forward to a time when Jesus' blood would spare all of those who looked to him. So there was a particular hour when they would sit down and they would begin, and they would go through a process of remembering specific accounts having to do with um, the Passover meal. And he said to them, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And the reason he said that is because this particular meal wasn't like our Thanksgiving meal. We look back at, you know, pilgrims and, and, and what they did and we give thanks for how we got here so far. But this particular meal, even though it did look back at uh, the whole the Ten Commandments and the, and the Tenth Plague, it looked forward to a time. When all of the people who looked to Jesus Christ would all sit together at one table that's recorded in Revelation as the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb, a feast unlike any other, 
Now, I don't know how many people you had in your home. I know some of you I saw pictures has a lot. But imagine not 10, not 20, not 200. Imagine how many people fill the local stadium, not 10,000 or 30,000. But all of the, not just Christians who have ever lived, but all the ones who have still yet to come, all gathered together at one feast, celebrating that we're all together in Christ. That's what this looks forward to. And that's when it will be fulfilled. He said after taking the cup, he gave thanks, which is what we're supposed to do, and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. And I know a lot of church traditions, some denominations say that when you partake of communion, it's literally, and they believe this, literally, because it's written in there, here's our statement of faith, literally turning into the body of Christ and that the wine is literally turning into the blood of Christ. But if you read the other Gospels, um, Jesus even says, these words I have spoken to you are spiritual. It's not actual. And his, he had not yet been crucified. He said, I want to take, have this meal before I suffer. So it's not that it turns into the crucified body of Christ because he hadn't been crucified. But he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is awesome because basically what he's saying is, every way that you have ever been told, here's how you connect to God, just wipe it off the map. That, that doesn't exist. This is the new covenant, the new commitment, the new contract, the new way that God is saying, here's how you can be in relationship with by accepting what Jesus did on the cross and acknowledging that his blood was shed for us. I had a conversation with a guy online literally all Thanksgiving weekend going back and forth because I saw his post where he was complaining about, you know, you Christians claim that you're supposed to, you know, do what the Bible says about feeding the homeless and all that stuff. But how many of you are inviting homeless people into your homes for Thanksgiving? How many of you are going out and doing this and that and helping people? Uh, all you're doing is spending Sundays on NASCAR. He must be a NASCAR fan and this, that, and the other. And so I, stupidly, engaged in the conversation. And my first question was, well, what are you doing? And then I proceeded to, you know, find out that, well, he's not. He said, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow the Bible. Well, I don't go out and do any of these things. And if I do them, it's because I want to. I don't do them because the Bible says do this, that, and the other. And he said he used to be a Christian, but he found that it was, like, not for him. And so my response to him was, you know what? If I thought that the only way to follow Christ and be in a relationship with God was to do all these lists of things that you're claiming people aren't doing, I wouldn't want to be a Christian either because I can't do all that. I can't do everything that God said, here's what you should be doing. And I told him, but I thank God that this new covenant doesn't require me to do that. It requires me to just acknowledge that there is a God who loved me so much so that he looked at all the things I'm not doing and loved me anyway and sent his son to die for me in place of me to pay the penalties for all the wrongs in the life. 
And then, not because I'm required to, but then if I go out filled with God's spirit and say, I'm going to go help out at the food bank or, or I'm going to go, you know, when we take coats downtown or now we're actually collecting them and giving them to another church locally that hands them out to people in this community. And when you go do that, not because you're trying to check off a list that God says do it, but because it's the right thing that the spirit of God is inspiring you to do. And when people in your family, your friends see you doing that, then they just might say, that's the kind of God I want to sit at the table with. Not the one who says, you got to go out and do A, B, C, D, and why aren't you inviting the homeless? Why aren't you out on the streets? Why aren't you doing this? But the God who says, hey, if you never do another thing, I'm going to love you anyway. And I feel so loved by him that I'm going to go do that stuff because I'm required to, but because I'm literally loved into doing it. That's the covenant that Jesus said we now have in his blood that was poured out for us. Now we're about to enter this season called Advent that literally every pastor I talked to that was like, what are you preaching on? I'm preaching on this. And they were like, well, we're going to talk about Advent. And actually what we, and for those of you who don't know, Advent is um, the arrival or notable of a notable person, a thing, or an event, um, the advent of television, that's good. But for most Christians, it's the uh, first season of the Christian church year leading up to Christmas and including the four preceding Sundays. So this is the season of Advent. And so many of you may have had Advent calendars when you were a kid where, you know, each day you open it and there's a different verse or a thing that you can do. And it, it leads up to celebrating the birth of Christ. But what we sometimes forget is it also leads up to and marks the coming of the return of Christ. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and as we, we're going to partake of communion. And what we sometimes forget is that communion, even though Jesus said, yes, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood for you. Paul said, when we partake of communion, we are literally proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we partake of this meal, which is a reflection back to the Passover and also looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity with God, it's saying, when we do this, yeah, I know that Christ died for me, but I know he's coming back for me. I know he's coming again for me. So, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask, uh, we're going to do something totally different. I'm going to ask everyone to come forward at the same time. And we're just going to all partake in communion around here together at the same time. So if you guys can all just come forward, instead of coming up one by one in the line. God, just keep us mindful of your amazing grace and your amazing love. The fact that you looked at us, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. And poured out your blood so that we might get to sit at the table with you for eternity. Allow us to always be mindful of that, to always give thanks for that, and to lovingly share that with those in our circumstances. God, we ask your blessing on us as we go, and we pray that everything that we do would be a blessing to you, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.